Let us go to our God in prayer. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us back to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. We ask that you will, as you have in this baptism, send your spirit upon the proclamation of your word, that what we hear, read, and proclaim would not be just words, but in fact your very living, risen voice speaking life unto us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich of food, rich, rich food filled with marrow, well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We arrive to John chapter 20 verses 11 through 18 where the promises of Isaiah land in this historical moment. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is April. We are 13 days into spring, and the March 22nd snow, notwithstanding, I very much look forward to the warmer temperatures that are promised, the change of color, the longer walks this season seems to invite. And anymore, one of the things that seems inevitable about spring anymore is transition and not just the foliage. As you look, as you walk around, look at how the for sale signs go up in front of houses and complexes. We are a people 
on the move. And I would say especially this season every year. And everybody knows when you are in transition and you're trying to find a new place, location, location, location. Right? It's the basic truth of real estate. It's the thing that determines the value of the home, the thing that will determine our daily rhythms, determines what we see, what we don't see. Location is usually pretty determinative of the schools we tend, the crime we know or don't know, the friends we make, the activities in which we participate, the things we carry about, the places in which we worship. We think hard about location because we do know intuitively it, it really affects everything. And I want to suggest this morning that our Easter passage is all about location. And where we locate ourselves in this scripture is determinative, in fact, of our entire approach to life. But before we look at the location in which we find ourselves in John chapter 20, I think we need to back up for some context. In fact, we're going to back way back. In the beginning. So declares Genesis 1, 1. And so too the Gospel of John, 1, 1. In the beginning. John is consciously drawing our attention to the Genesis story as we begin reading through his Gospel. Consciously letting us know John is not interested in just telling a few tales, a few fascinating moments from a fascinating person's life. But, but like Genesis, John wants to tell a foundational narrative about human, humankind, who we are in relationship to God. He intends to tell a creation story. Or more precisely, a new creation story. And so if you're kind of reading along in the, in the Gospel of John, you may remember very early on, chapter 2, Jesus attends a wedding. And from water, Jesus creates wine. From this ordinary aspect of creation that we see every single day, he brings forth something new, a new creation. And then just a bit later in, in John Jesus, he speaks but a word. In this sick man who'd, who'd never walked in his life, he stands and he walks. Ordinary words, we use thousands of them every single day. But with ordinary words, a paralyzed person is put into motion. Or again, you remember there's just five loaves, two fish, and 5,000 hungry people. And Jesus takes these ordinary, everyday elements of creation and he draws forth an abundance to feed all there is new creation from creation or or do you remember when jesus comes upon the man that's been born blind since birth and jesus he spits on the ground the everyday soil of the earth on which we walk all of our steps and he makes mud and he puts mud on the guy's eyes and from this ordinary creation The man is given sight. You see, if we follow the arc of John's gospel, we see time and again, Jesus interacts with very ordinary creation. Water, words, food, mud. And Jesus' words, Jesus' presence, Jesus' touch, they have a way of, of drawing forth from the ordinary new creation. And so his followers, they begin to realize that when when you walk with him, you have this remarkable hope that what is does not always have to be what is. That is, 
until the unjust trial, until the torture, until the mockery, until the nakedness and nailing to the cross. The cross, where at some one point you recall Jesus cries out, I am thirsty, and someone puts a sponge of wine to Jesus' lips. Is that, it's as if some of them below are trying to remind Jesus, hey, you can turn water into wine. Sure, surely you can turn the ordinary wood upon which you are nailed into something. But John writes, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that is the reality that weighs on Mary Magdalene when we find her in the garden, weeping outside the tomb, the outset of chapter 20. At one point, you remember, Mary tells the angels, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And, and yes, she's speaking of the physical body someone seems to have stolen, but she's, she's speaking about so much more. They have taken away the story of hope that he embodied. Jesus is finished. All these years of water and words and bread and mud and bringing forth so much more, this new creation, the story is finished. It's been taken away. Injustice and power, sin and death, they have had the final say. It has been taken away. And that is one location in which many of us situate ourselves in the story. We had a promising start. We had a promising life. We had a promising opportunity. We had a promising marriage. We had a promising movement. We had a promising church. We had a promising diagnosis. We had a promising child. We had a promising faith in which Jesus really did some remarkable things at at one point in our lives. But then it got dark. Then the unjust trial or the unjust system weighed. Then the naked shame came and the mockery poured forth. Then the punishing addiction. Then the relationship failed. Then the movement broke. Then the paralyzed situation grinded forever. Paralyzed. Or then maybe it was death itself. Many beneath their Easter finest can in fact locate themselves with Mary. Weeping. Just trying to get on with the next thing on the to-do list. In Mary's case, she just wants to anoint Jesus' dead body. It was a custom of the time. And we, we just want to get on with the next thing we are to do for the darkness and whatever its form has gripped us. And it's broken any real sense of expectancy that Jesus might do a truly new thing and change us or change them or change that or change the fact of death. Many of us, we locate ourselves in this space where it is finished. Which means Jesus is dead, really, to do anything substantive about this. And so we, like Mary, we look around. And even if Jesus is standing in our midst, we, we suppose him to be a gardener. 
We only see anymore what we expect because, again, it is finished. That darkness weighs. The story of hope, the story of hope beyond sin, beyond darkness, beyond death, it, it is finished. But do you know what it says in Genesis? The creation story that John really wants in our mind the whole time. Do you know what it says in Genesis on the seventh and final day of creation? The seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he is purposely alluding to Genesis, the words of God on the seventh day, and then Jesus goes to the rest, that is death itself. And I think that should make us wonder just a bit. John hopes it does. You know, when when God first used that word, it's finished, it was not in a sad sense. It was not in the sense as if to say, and now it's all over, it's all done. No, it it is finished was in the sense of, and now this, this is complete. This, this is good. When God first speaks a word about being finished in the creation story, it is a good thing. And Jesus is alluding to that. Jesus is pulling from that sense. Could the it in it is finished refer perhaps not to Jesus being finished, but something else being finished? Jesus touched the common elements of water and words, bread and mud, and brought forth new creation. So too, Jesus touches the most elemental, the most common, the most brutal and fearful aspect of creation that every single one of us encounters. Jesus touches death with his whole being. And three days later, He rises from the grave, from the ordinary death. He brings forth yet again new life. It is finished refers not to Jesus being finished, but death being finished. There's the April Fool's joke, right? The world thought it meant Jesus is finished, when in fact, surprise, ordinary, brutal, everyday, common, we all face it, death, that is finished, Jesus is finished risen. And since Jesus lives, it means the same Jesus who worked all those years bringing from ordinary creation, new creation, he is living this day, he's still at work. He's still birthing new creation in our ordinary weddings and water, our paralyzed situations, in our situations where we simply do not have enough, and our muddied, sin-stained realities. Oh, he is still working with that stuff. And he is still at work very much on those ordinary, heavy crosses that seek to crush and break us. They are in his risen hands, in fact, conduits of new creation. I wonder, do you see his living presence in the most ordinary Perhaps in the most painful of all ordinary, perhaps even while it's still dark out, do you see him yet this day birthing something new in your midst? For he's risen. 
Mary cannot. She cannot see that it is finished means death is finished. She cannot see. She's standing in a garden and God is alive and walking with her. Isn't that incredible? She cannot see. She's walking in the new garden of Eden. And death is what is finished. The darkness does not win. She can't see her true location. Until she hears her name. Mary. The familiar voice of love cuts through the layers of darkness. And then she knows that she stands in a reality where love is stronger than death and death is in fact finished. And the church has been working out for 2,000 years just what a profound thing that means for every aspect of life. As we go about our walks in these coming days and we take note of the for sale signs and we observe just how much everyone really is thinking about location, location, location. Consider your location. Are we a people for whom it is finished means Jesus is finished. Had a good run. Had his power, had his way, had his love, but it cannot anymore. It cannot save. It cannot change. It cannot do anything or are we a people for whom it is finished means death is finished is that our location and so we expectantly lean forward looking for the ways Jesus is birthing surprising new creation even amidst mud and cross and perhaps we'd like to move to that latter location but we don't we don't know how to get into that neighborhood I mean, we'd love to put a for sale sign on our current location. It's dark. It does weigh. It does hurt. We'd like to be in spring transition. We'd love if that garden reality filled us. I mean, we know. Location, location, location. Goodness, it determines one's approach to everything. But we don't know how to get to that space of inestimable value. Oh, the darkness can be so thick. And here's the good news. We don't need to figure out how to move. Jesus already made the move. Jesus is risen and he moved into our neighborhood. Jesus made his way to us. It is as we proclaim in baptism. Jesus is moving in our direction and embracing us far before we even want to respond, even know how to respond. And this Jesus has risen and and moved so closely and so near this very day that he is calling us by name through the very darkness we thought would smother us. May you be given ears to hear the voice who has moved in closer than you may have imagined. May you be given eyes to see this Easter morning the garden which is our fundamental reality. And may this location anchor for you a sense of hope and expectancy in every aspect of this not so ordinary life. Amen.